At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, Pfizer under fire. The company's CEO unloading 60% of his stock the same day he announced huge news on a COVID vaccine. We'll find out what really happened here. Plus, a BABA beatdown. Forget Singles Day. Shares tumbling in overseas trade will break down the real story and the real risk of investing in China tech. And later, it's fast food of the future, what Chipotle just unveiled. That is a true sign of the times. But we kick things off with a countdown to Christmas. Yes, we are just 43 days away from the most wonderful time of year. We found out today that Goldman Sachs believes in Santa. Yes, the big bank upping its S&P 500 year-end price target to 3,700 from 3,600. And it doesn't end there. Goldman thinks the Santa rally will continue into next year, setting a 2021 year-end price target of 4,300. So the question we are asking tonight, is Santa Claus really coming to town or will the Grinch steal Christmas? Guy. Well, for you folks with kids in the room, uh, I'll give you a few seconds to have them leave. Three, two, one. <laughs> he ain't coming. So I'm in the, I'm in the Grinch camp. By the way, uh, Bobby Helms, who sang Jingle Bell Rock, I think it came out in 1957. Great tune. That's to the Grinch, not Bobby Helms. But the, you know, I just can't wrap my head around. Right now, all the great things, the market is still expensive. In terms of market cap to GDP, it's probably north of 175% which by any metric is at the far end of the curve. Uh, I just don't see it getting there. I've been wrong before. I'm probably wrong again. But the VIX at 23 is not nearly pricing in all the things that can go wrong into uh, January of next year. So I'm in the Grinch camp, unfortunately, although Boris Karloff did a wonderful job. Oh, that, that is true. Boris Karloff comes up uh, two minutes into the show. Um, what we saw, though, today, Tim, I would think, uh, is to give Santa lovers a reason to believe, and that is technology actually finished the day strong. So we saw a, a comeback of the trade that looked like was unwinding. Yeah, and, and may the winter warlock, the abominable snowman, heat miser, snow miser, you know, all of those people go after Guy Adami because Santa is coming. Santa. Did you hear it? Santa's coming. And, and I think the dynamic of big cap tech, which don't, you know, it, it's opposite day today relative to yesterday when everybody said it was it was going to be value over growth for the foreseeable. I, I you know, we saw this back in May. Don't get too far away from the mega cap tech stocks. But more importantly, Santa may, you know, at least the Santa hat may be on Jerome Powell, because as long as rates stay where they are and the Fed remains accommodative and they have to remain accommodative, uh, bipartisan support for an equity rally is my view. Uh, even with the Senate outcome still possibly unclear. But as we sit right now, this is a fantastic backdrop for equities and we will get some stimulus. It may not be what people want. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people on Main Street are still hurting going into this Christmas season. But equities will move higher. And, and the bond market was closely. But what we've seen in the past few days, and we were just talking about this in yesterday's show, is an extraordinary rise in rates without any action from the Fed. So, so Dan, where do you stand here? 
Yeah, so uh, this may surprise some of our viewers. I'm kind of in the Grinch camp here. Um, you know, I'll just say this, that yeah, the S&P 500 is up 10.5% um, already on the year. We're obviously not far from those all-time highs from Monday's opening. The Nasdaq's up more than 30%. I think we just really have to take some stock here about where we are. You know, the markets don't like uncertainty. I would tell you that they're acting mightily uh, complacent at the moment. When you consider the fact that, yes, the election was one of the big things and that was going to determine whether we were going to have higher taxes going forward and a whole stimulus and a whole host of other things and possibly a new Fed chair, well, we have the President of the United States who has not conceded the election. And by all accounts, over the next few weeks, things could get a little dicey. And then, you know, obviously there's a lot of optimism about a vaccine and the timeline for it, but we don't know when that's going to be commercially available. And I suspect it's going to be a while. And I also suspect that the next few weeks or few months dealing with this virus might be some of the worst of 2020. Put all that together, and I just don't see um, a great case for just going out and buying the market right here until we have a bit more clarity. You may get that Santa rally. It may be closer to Christmas, though. Yeah. Karen? So I'm going to go in the Santa camp and uh, a few reasons why. I think that we got a glimpse of what the market can do on Monday with the Pfizer news. And I think that we will see additional news like that and that the market will rally again. You know how sometimes you see an industry where the, the bellwether does well and all the stocks rally. And then every time one of them reports great earnings, they all rally again on the same news. So I think that could definitely happen here. And when I think about the risks, as Tim said, the Fed, I don't think that's a risk. I don't think they're changing policy at all. I think about the, you know, could we have some trade issues? Even if we have some trade issues, they will not have the same bang for the buck to the downside because there's the perception that China will be dealing with, likely dealing with a new administration. So that doesn't concern me either. I think we'll have more clarity on the election. To me, the biggest risk is if we see bad vaccine data. That would be a very big risk. But right. all, I don't think that's going to happen, so I'm in the Santa camp. Okay. Uh, Guy, how should we think about this rotation, um, the, the growth to value rotation, the tech to the rest of the market rotation that we saw in the past couple of days and, and for longer for that matter, uh, and whether or not you believe in a year-end market rally? Do we need to have uh, the reversion, which is a, the rise in tech, the bounce back in tech, in order to believe that the markets overall will go higher? Since we had this conversation last night and I saw TRB, that would be the reform broker, spoke to this a few days ago on Closing Bell, and Dan Nathan talked about it. You know, we've had a lot of um, head fakes in terms of the move from growth into value. And what we saw probably maybe this week and late last week was just that, that exact thing, a bit of a head fake. I, I don't think the growth trade is over by any stretch of the imagination. But in terms of the broader market, when you look at the S&P 500, it's just too expensive here, in my opinion. And I get, listen, I'm, I try to be as optimistic as everyone, but I, I also try to look at the entire picture, and there's still some significant headwinds that we're not pricing in. And, oh, by the way, you know, if President Trump has, in fact, lost this election and he watches the, the market rally on the back of that, i got to believe um, somebody that's prided himself on the market rallying predicated on his administration alone that's got to cause some consternation, and I don't know how that manifests itself in the stock market, but clearly, in my opinion, the 23 VIX is not pricing that in. Tim, do you think that the markets are not pricing in, or do you think that we did price in, and here we are now? Well, you, you, you're, I think, referencing 
a 14.5% pullback in the NASDAQ that we had into September, another 11% pullback that we had, I think, into October. Um, so, you know, you could make an argument that we had that correction. Those were very violent moves, uh, and we've been making lower highs. I, I, I can't tell you that the world's a happy place, but I can tell you that we've, we've basically are at a place where we priced in manufacturing at a halt. Uh, PMI services are still, you know, yet to surprise on the upside. Yes, we've gotten back down to a, a reasonable jobless number, but still a long way to go on more progress. And, and as Karen said, um, it aren't, you know, the news flow, the headlines around vaccine are going to be good. They are, I don't think we're going to see a reverse course, at least in the expectation of a timeline. Um, these are all reasons why, yes, uh, clear amount of uncertainty. I'm going to for now throw price to earnings out the window because I think we've given a bogey on stocks till 2022. Uh, I think the biggest part is, is at least some guide into 2021 and we're going to have to wait till next earnings season. All good arguments. So what do you say, Mr. Grinchy, Dan Nathan? Well, there it is. What did Tim just say? We're going to throw out valuation until 2022. I mean, that's really yeah. it, right? Don't fight yeah. the Fed. Well, and I'm not mocking you, Tim. I'm just saying, like, you know, like that's kind of the point here, right? And so, so you know, I mean, listen, the stock market in 2019, the S&P 500, went up 30%, and there was no year-over-year -year earnings growth from 2018. We're expected to be down maybe 20 25% year-over-year in 2020, and the stock market, the S&P 500, is up 10%. So take Goldman Sachs's, whatever their target was for 2022, and we're going to have 20 25% growth you know, getting back to 2018 levels. Do you, does the, the market deserve to trade 22, 23 times right there? I don't know, but I'll give you a trade right here. And you guys might be surprised by this. Look at Apple. It's probably one of the most constructive charts in the market. It made that high of 138 on September 2nd. It's made a series of higher lows over the last month, month and a half in that NASDAQ sell-off period that Tim was just talking about. This thing, you want to get a Santa rally? This is where you do it because this thing looks like it's poised to break out and we have those other two phones shipping um, on Friday. All right, let's talk more about what we can expect as we head into the final trading weeks of the year. Joining us now, Mandy Zhu, Chief Equity Derivatives Analyst at Credit Suisse. Mandy, great to have you with us. Thanks, Melissa. Great to be on the show. Um, we've been tracking the VIX very closely. Um, it is now uh, 23 and change. And, and so, Mandy, I'm wondering if you can put the market moves into the context of what we've seen in volatility and what this tells you about the markets going into year end. Yeah, sure. I mean, I heard you guys talk, you know, at length about a potential Santa rally. And the point that I would make here is that you know, the market being up is not enough for equity investors, especially institutional investors. Um, it really matters the sector leadership of that rally. So, you know, over the past week, we had a very strong stock market reaction to both the election and to the vaccine, but investor performance had been very mixed. So last week, post-election, on the move higher in the stock market, you know, most equity hedge funds and, and equity managers had one of their best days on record but this Monday, with a vaccine-driven rally, they had one of their worst days on record, right? And it really kind of comes down to that factor rotation between growth versus value and how people are positioned going into year end. So I would say, you know, going into last week, most institutional investors were still very much overweight, the uh, growth sectors, in particular tech and healthcare. And obviously, you know, those were the biggest beneficiaries of the election result. So people were very well positioned for last week's rally, but 
that they were not at all well positioned for this week's rally, which was very much led by uh, the beaten down value sectors, sectors that, you know, and means that most institutional investors are not only underweight, but a lot of them are outright short. Uh, against their core longs in, in tech. So to me, you know, the question going forward, it's, it's less, you know, where the market is going, but really kind of what is going to lead us on the way. Is it going to be growth or is it going to be value? That's the key question, and that's going to determine a lot of, uh, you know, uh, performance numbers for equity funds. You know, Mandy, thanks for being here. Tim mentioned that valuations, and he's probably right, probably not going to matter until the middle or early part of 2022. If that's the case, and if the Fed does seemingly have all of our backs, is it just sort of full speed ahead and, and any fundamental work that you'd like to do gets sort of pushed towards the side for now? Um, I would say you know, the Fed is not enough. Um, we've seen that with Europe and with Japan. You know, you do really also need fiscal policy. And I think in this, at this current time, you also need good vaccine news. And one of the things that we've been recommending uh, clients uh, to do going into your end is, you know, I think the vaccine news, come out this week, it's, it's a big deal, right? And going into year end, it's actually going to be a very catalyst-rich time in terms of further potential vaccine news. So we've gotten some of the interim, interim data from Pfizer. We're expecting more data out of Pfizer, but also out of AstraZeneca and Moderna. So I think going into year end, there is really a potential for positive vaccine news that can drive not just the market higher, but can drive a sustained value rotation but on the other hand, you know, you look at the macro picture in the U.S., um, you know, we're, we're setting daily new uh, records in terms of COVID cases. The pandemic is still raging out of control. There's still no signs of fiscal support. So what we've been recommending clients do is don't rotate yet out of your, te- your core tech, core growth holdings just yet, but look at buying some upside right tail hedges in the beaten down value sectors and value names. And you know, this is looking particularly attractive right now because volatility levels have come in so much, right? The VIX has gone from a high of 40 pre-election to now 23. So that makes outright option buying much cheaper now. So I would you know, overlay some of these, of these you know, upside tail hedges in the value sectors, value names, on top of your, you know, your core holdings in Apple, Amazon, you know, your growth sectors, I think that's the, the setup you want to have going into year end when we're facing a lot of potential catalysts that could drive a value rotation. Hey, Mandy, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. So you say you indicated institutions say the Fed is not enough. What do you need to see either from the macro uh, or sector-wise? What, what do you want to lead us right now? Sure. I think, you know, what you want to see is uh, progress in terms of fiscal stimulus. I think that's going to be huge. Um, and we've seen, you know, over the past week, you know, certain headlines from maybe Mitch McConnell, you know, different congressional leaders saying, oh, we're working on it. There's progress. But, you know, they've been saying that for months and we really haven't gotten a, a, a stimulus deal yet. Right. And, and we also I think I would like to see more positive vaccine data uh, from the other um, uh, vaccine makers, AstraZeneca and Moderna, because only then can we really move up the timeline for when potentially everyone can get vaccinated um, and when we can, your know, life can return to normal. You know, keep in mind vaccine, you know, with just the Pfizer data, we're still looking at second half of next 
year Mm -hmm. in terms of people getting vaccinated. So what's going to happen in the meantime, right? We still need fiscal support. So to me, those are the two catalysts that I'm watching for that I think are much more important than the Fed. You know, not to say the Fed's not important, but they've already indicated they're going to be the backstop. They're they're there to provide liquidity. Nothing really has changed on that front. What needs to change is much more on the fiscal front and also the vaccine front. So, Mandy, you gave a lot of caveats uh, to market performance, but I will ask you the question, would you fall more into the Santa camp or the Grinch camp? <laughs> I, I, I fall much more in the stay long, the tech, the growth uh, sector camp until we get more concrete positive news. So I would say, you know, yes, market's likely to go higher going to year end, mostly because uh, of tech. But to me, really, you know, you, you do see need to see more concrete positive data from the vaccine and fiscal front before that, you know, we can really see a sustained value rotation. Mandy, thank you. Thanks. Mandy Zhu, Credit Suisse. She's a terrific guest, but she does not play the game. I respect that, though, because it was a very specific <laughs> stay long tech. And Karen, I will go to you because, you know, a key point that she's been making is, yeah. is a lot of the trades can be made because volatility is so low. It's your opportunity to actually use that in your favor. Right. Well, at least she didn't self rather, you know, would you rather herself. That's so true. She would be banned she in that case. But anyway. That. I, <laughs> right. So I'm always long and I'm always looking to hedge. I'm happy to see the VIX come in a lot and I'll probably look to put on some protection, but that is to allow me to stay primarily long. So there's a little bit of a paradox there, though. If we get good news on the vaccine, then then their rotation will happen. Mm-hmm. The NASDAQ will fall. Those stocks weigh more heavily on the S&P. So the monolith of the S&P might go down. But the market I think of is more broad than that, uh, than the, the, those just tech names. They could go up. Right. So I'm still firmly Santa. All right. Coming up, the CEO stock sale that got all of our traders talking today, why the timing is raising some eyebrows. But first, Alibaba wrapping up a record-setting singles day, but there could be dangers, big dangers, looking for the Chinese tech giant. We've got the details when Fast Money returns. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba closing the books on a record-shattering singles-day sales event. The tech giant says gross merchandise value topped $74.1 billion over the 11-day event. But check out what happened to Baba shares in Hong Kong trade. They fell nearly 10 percent following a massive crackdown on the company by the Chinese government. Deidre Bosa is here with the very latest on this story. Debo. Well, in years past, Melissa, Singles Day has been all about those huge numbers that show the reach of China's Internet giants. This time, though, that may be seen as more of a riskier flex. Just as Singles Day was getting underway, Beijing's antitrust watchdog put the country's tech giants on notice, issuing draft rules aimed at rooting out monopolistic practices. Now, the news hit some of the biggest names, not just Alibaba, Tencent, JD.com as well in Hong Kong by between 7 and 10 percent in just one session. Now, Alibaba, as you guys know, has already been under pressure since Ant Group's halted IPO. 
The fintech giant also faces a changing regulatory landscape. More broadly, guys, regulatory pressure could be signaling a new era for Chinese tech, not unlike what we're seeing for our own American tech companies. Alibaba president Michael Evans told me earlier today that transparency will be key. We need regulatory transparency so that investors, the company, regulators, everyone else can see the transparency and understand the rules by which the game will be played. And that's where we're headed. Over the last decade or more, the giants have been seen as national champions, evidence of China's tech prowess and surpassing even their American counterparts by some measures like users and growth. But now, Melissa, the draft rules suggest that Beijing thinks that they have become too big and wants to rein them in, perhaps giving a new crop of companies a chance to contend. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa for us. Uh, Tim, I'll go straight to you on this. I mean, it was once thought that as national champions, firms like Alibaba and Baidu and Tencent, they were backed effectively by the Chinese government. And here we are in a very different position in which violators of that new regulation could be forced to divest of assets, of intellectual property, um, a whole host of measures that would be very punitive. So uh, Debo brought up a pretty good point. Also, just that the, this is a uh, you know, this is anti-regulated. This is the DOJ equivalent, we should say. And what that's meant for companies in, in our country, mega cap Texas, uh, largely been nothing. Let, let's be clear about that. Um, as a guy that's invested in emerging markets for a long time and has seen governments dismantle companies that got too big or too influential, whether it's oil companies in Russia, whether it's been uh, power companies in Brazil, um, the national champions in China are just that. Um, I think the regulator has to evolve on the fly. I don't think they're going to be tearing these companies apart. And I think this is an opportunity. Remember, China wants these companies to be global and dominant, and they want them to work with the next wave of Chinese tech companies that are coming. And yes, there'll be competitive influences, but I think this is an opportunity. But still, the context of this is that these tech regulations came a week after the government forced the suspension of the Ant Financial IPO, Karen, which forced you as an investor in Alibaba to actually reevaluate because it, it changed the rules to the point where Ant may not be as valuable as it once was. I think that's true. I think Ant will be unlikely in the short term to be as valuable as it was. It, it, the very best case is there's no new regulations. I don't think that's the most likely outcome. But you got to think about how far the stock has fallen. And I, I think, you know, I agree with just about everything Tim said of them being national champions. I think they're trying to, this is really a spanking for Jack Ma. Um, and I think that ultimately, I don't know how much of a difference it'll make in, their, in, in how powerful they are. So when I look at how much the stock has come down, if I own none, I would buy it right here. I don't own none. I own a fair amount. So I, I didn't add today. My next, my next action probably would be to add. And I think that I don't know how long it's going to take to resolve this, but in my experience, panicking on news like this has never been the right thing to do. So maybe this time it is the right thing to do, but we look at what happened with the, the Internet companies, the, the GDPR. We look at what happened, you know, the antitrust with Google, the stock traded up. We look what happened with Facebook, the stock traded up. So I'm not going to panic out of it. I may be the last one out when they dismantle the whole thing. But if I own none, I'd buy it here. All right. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. 
a luckily timed stock sale, netting Pfizer CEO some big gains. But should it also be raising some eyebrows? We dig into the details. And later, order up the new concept store from Chipotle that's got shares soaring today. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story on Pfizer, the company's CEO, unloading a huge chunk of stock on Monday. The same day they announced major news on a COVID vaccine. Let's get to Meg Terrell, who's got the details. Meg. Hi, Melissa. Well, regulatory filings showed that Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, sold about $5.6 million worth of Pfizer stock on Monday. Of course, that was the day that they reported results of 90 percent efficacy in their COVID-19 vaccine. Their stock jumped, closing the day up almost 8 uh, percent. Now, the details are that he sold 132,500 shares at an average price of about $41.94 each. Now, this was under a 10B51 trading plan, one of these pre-planned sales trading plans that he adopted in August of 2020. Now, Pfizer points out that Borla still owns $15 million in Pfizer shares, saying that over the 25 years uh, he's had with the company, he's accumulated a substantial amount of Pfizer stock, quote, under our qualified and non-qualified savings plans. He says he now holds approximately nine times his salary in Pfizer stock after the sale this week. That's how you get to that $15 million number. Now, that's thought to be triggered, this sale, by the stock hitting a certain price, guys. And there's a debate over whether these things are appropriate. They are legal under these 10B51 plans, and they're not based on any insider information uh, of what's happening with uh, you know, data or anything like that. But you're starting to see a debate uh, over these things because you've seen it from other companies too. Brian Scorney, a biotech analyst at Baird, tweeting out today, this is capitalism at its best, saying less than a year from the discovery of the virus to a highly effective vaccine, Albert should be rewarded. The benefits to society will be incalculable. But of course, we've been having this debate since this pandemic began. And uh, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton joined Squawk back, back in May and said it's essentially an idea of corporate hygiene, uh, that executives should be careful about even giving the perception that they might be doing something inappropriate. And so, guys, the debate continues. Mel? Certainly does. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Um, Karen, when I first saw the story, I texted you. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> I thought as a corporate governance sort of watcher, you'd have the best thoughts on this. And, and what's your takeaway from this? Well, you know, I have such goodwill toward the guy. I want to have the sort of most innocuous spin 
possible, and I think the 10B5 was in place. Well, look, remember, the stock was only up 15%. It's not like it was trading at 20. They came out with this drug and it went to 100, right? So um, I sort of think maybe could they've handled it a little bit better? Probably yes, but I also, you know what, he's a great trader. He's like, you know, buy the pandemic and sell the great day for humanity. So good for him. Yeah. I, I'm not so troubled by it. Maybe it would have been better one day later if he'd done it. Yeah. Tim, you're a bit skeptical. Well, one of those analyst comments that, that Meg reported almost made it sound like, well, he's done so much for, for mankind. You know, who cares? I mean, look, I, I have no particular insight into whether this was uh, manipulated or not. You, you can have a 10B5 in place. You can also control the when you release information. Um, I, you know, again, <coughs> we'll, we'll find out. Let, let, let others do their job. I, I will say he was particularly... Um, laudatory uh, and, and almost hyperbolic, I thought, when, when talking about uh, this accomplishment. It is massive. Is it the most important medical uh, achievement in the last hundred years? I don't know. Um, I'm sure a lot of people could say that. Um, but he was very vocal uh, about the importance of the moment at a time when he was, you know, incented to see the stock go higher. Yeah. Clearly, we've got a lot of questions. So, Let's bring in a former SEC branch chief, Lisa Berganza, joins us. Lisa, great to have you with us. Thanks for your time. Um, and, and it seems like every company's defense, or I don't want to say defense because that implies that there's some sort of guilt involved, but um, their response is that there was a 10B51 plan in place. And yet still you think that there could be questions that the SEC asks. What would those questions be? Right. Uh, now, the SEC is can look at that uh, 10B51 plan and say, all right, that's good evidence that the plan was in place and that the the officer did not trade on the inside information that he had that day. But that doesn't tell you anything about whether the plan was based on inside information. So we have to go back to August 19th when this plan was put in place. So the SEC staff could easily look at whether that plan was established based on information that um, Dr. Borla had at that time. We also don't know, based on the information that's out right now, whether that plan was changed over time. That's another factor. Um, it might have been altered at some point, and maybe that was altered. But the SEC could investigate whether that was altered based on inside information. These are the types of charges the SEC's brought in the past. The fact that somebody has a 10B51 plan does not insulate them from SEC charges. Um, we can look back at um, Countrywide, uh, Angelo Mozillo. Amongst the many fraud charges brought against him was insider trading. He had several 10B51 plans set up, and he was charged with illegal insider trading based on information that he had at the time he set up those plans. Ken Lay, we remember from Enron days, Ken Lay was charged among all of his fraud charges was a charge of insider trading based on the uh, plans that he amended. So in his case, he changed those plans based on information mm. that he learned. So plans are helpful, but they're not a silver bullet. Hey, it's Karen. Thanks for being on today. Um, when I looked at the Form 4 today, it said 
um, something about the sale, subject to a plan that was put in place August 19th, as you cited. If that plan was revised, wouldn't they have had to say so in that Form 4 filing? I'm not sure not that they the would have. the revision was, but that it was revived. Right. I don't believe, because they don't have to release what that plan is. They just have to, when the sale is made, they put uh, something in the Form 4 saying it was made pursuant to that plan. So we don't know what the actual plan was. As far as I know, it has not been released. Lisa, thanks for uh, answering so many questions that we have. Lisa Braganza, Braganza Law, former SEC uh, branch chief. Uh, Guy Adami, we definitely... We want to believe the best in Pfizer, clearly, because of the strides they made in, in finding a vaccine. And yet this is still a question, regardless of who the, what the company is, what they've done, who the CEO is, there are still questions. The optics are awful. I mean, I don't, I'm not, well, I don't think any of us is suggesting they did anything wrong legally, but the optics around this are, are miserable. And you have to use that word. <laughs> Pfizer, you know, Tim made a good point. They basically came out that they, I'm paraphrasing, the biggest breakthrough in the last century in terms of medicine. Maybe that's true. Sounds like it's true. That's great. And then on the back end, you sell, I think, almost 60% of your shares at a price the stock hasn't seen since January. And, you know, by the way, you know and I know that a lot of people poured into Pfizer. Now, a week from now, Pfizer could be trading $50, and this will long be forgotten, or it could be languishing around $38, and we'll still be talking about it. Somebody, in my opinion, in public relations or something at Pfizer had to get together and say, hey, we're going to put a moratorium on anything relating to stock purchases or sales in the immediate future based on this information. It's just too much of a magnifying glass. That's what I would have done. Now, whether that's right or wrong, it's, it's again, we can have the conversation. And I understand capitalism and all that stuff, but optics absolutely have to play into this, Mel. Dan, does this matter to you? Should this matter to investors? No. No, but it may matter to him. Um, you know, I think Guy makes a good point. He could have sold stock at 42, and it could have been trading at 52 days later. I, I mean, you know, that's what makes a market here. Maybe his kids needed some braces, and one of them was going off to college or something like that, doing a little financial planning. I mean, we just don't know. The one thing I will tell you, though, in the next couple of months is that, you know, a, there's a lot of skepticism about the timing of their announcement about the vaccine data, they were very, very clear that they did not want to release any data, good or bad, before the election and alter it. But you may see Republicans come after this because the optics look so bad. Um, you may see Republicans come after him, let's say, in the new year, um, one way or another. So these guys are going to have a PR little nightmare on their hands. I don't really think it's going to affect the stock price, though. There's probably a reason why somebody in PR didn't tap the shoulder of, of the CEO, and that's because the P <clears throat> PR, someone in PR, actually sold as well on Monday um, under a 10B51 <laughs> plan. Sally Sussman, uh, $1.8 million in stock. This is thanks to Meg Terrell, who just emailed that to me. So, so Karen, I'll go to you for the last word here. Um, <laughs> do you still have questions? Do you think, do you think that it, it is worth the SEC's time to look into this? I mean, I don't know how busy they are, so I can't say to that. But think about it. He has $20 million worth of stock, and he sold $5.6 million. We're focusing on the $5.6 million. Let's focus on the 43,000 and change number of shares that were up $5, $6. So for a quarter of a million dollars, so that's a lot of money to you and me, but maybe to him, not really. That was the differential in the stock. 
So I, I think this will blow over. Yeah. Dan, you didn't care what your cat did. He made an appearance in the background. <laughs> Coming up, <laughs> time for a makeover. Why, he's gone now, though. Uh, why one of our traders is ringing the register on Ulta Beauty. We'll take you inside that trade and later. We're counting down to earnings from Disney. Will hopes for a vaccine make it a whole new world for this trade? We've got the setup when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Ugly day for shares of Ulta Beauty, but the stock has posted some pretty decent gains this week after striking a deal with Target to open hundreds of shops in their stores. Chairwoman decided it was time to ring the register on some of her Ulta positions. So, Karen, take us inside that trade. Yeah, so I got a chance to buy Ulta at what I thought were decent prices, 220s and the 210s. And then 10 days ago, the stock was trading at 201, I think. Maybe it closed to 205. So the Pfizer news comes out, the stock, obviously it's a, you know, uh, open, reopen trade, goes nuts. It looks like it gained way more than Pfizer, and they just sell lip gloss. So I just thought, you know what, I like this Target deal, but how much does it actually add? A lot of good things are already priced in, so i got to take some money off the table. The other reopen trade that I have, Live Nation, I also took some money off the table there. Great company as well, but I just think people got super excited maybe a little ahead of themselves. Yeah. Tim, what, what do you think of uh, this trade and this, this overall trade, Target Ulta? Well, I, very tactical of Karen. And, and look, she's done a lot of work on the name. And I think the, the, the catalyst in the Target deal uh, is good. It also signals that Ulta may be feeling the, uh, the competitive forces that have come as not only has uh, COVID accelerated the trends on the demise of department stores, but it's increased the competitive landscape against them. So, uh, you know, interesting trade for sure. Um, it, it brings up also makes me think about someone like Best Buy, who also has had a huge benefit from from COVID-19 and, and has seen a huge, huge run in the stock um, and where the holiday season, which is always very, very important for Best Buy, may be something that they largely experienced. And I think you have to be cautious in a lot of these names that were disruptors early in COVID and may have seen that early season. Yeah. Pull forward is basically what we're saying, right? I mean, that's that's the impact that we've seen yes. for so many. So, Guy, where do you stand on on a Best Buy or, or other names that, where there might be a pull forward problem? Dollar Gen. Yeah, see, I, and where there's not a pull forward pro problem would be like a Dollar General, right? I mean, I think that's the name that's been slow and steady wins the race as opposed to a potential pull forward. And you saw that in the form of a downgrade the other day. I think an analyst put a $320 price target on Restoration Hardware. And oh, by the way, Restoration Hardware, I think, made an all-time high today. So I think you're getting in the deep end of the pool, maybe, in the Williams-Sonoma with the Dutch oven that we've talked about far too often, as you probably know, Mel. But names that probably continue to grind higher, like Dollar Gen, where I don't think you have that same problem in terms of pulling things forward. I got an email from the New York Times cooking section the other day, and it said, it is, it is, it's brazing season. And it made me immediately think of the Dutch oven. You did, you uh, did not. I, I did. I screenshotted it just to prove, yeah, just to prove it. They um, must know. Dan, I will go to you. Oh, the cat's gone. Yeah. Maybe I won't go to you. Oh. No, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I will 
I will say I'm not a huge fan of this store within a store thing. This is the, the demise of J.C. Penney. Um, you know, when they were going to redo their stores eight, nine, ten years ago, whatever. You know, Best Buy has tried to do that with Apple and Samsung. Um, the cat's right next to me, actually, right now. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I will tell you this: I'm actually not particularly optimistic about retail in general. The XRT, the S&P um, retail ETF. I put a bearish trade on last week. Um, I think you're going to see amazing amazingly promotional activity over the next month, month and a half. Um, we do not have that stimulus. We know that UPS um, and FedEx has already told us they're going to raise prices on shipping, that sort of thing. I think you're going to see a very constrained consumer and you're going to see um, extensive costs for retailers and very promotional. All right. For more on the beauty retailer, you can catch Kramer's exclusive interview with Ulta CEO Mary Dillon. That is tonight on Mad Money here on CNBC. Coming up, calling all burrito lovers. Guys, just perked up. Chipotle is opening its first ever digital restaurant, but they won't. They don't want you to eat there. We got the details next. Plus, Disney shares on Mr. Toad's wild ride all year. What can investors expect from earnings tomorrow? That trade and some Hall of Presidents references from Guy, I'm sure. Straight ahead. Stick around more fast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out this image from inside Chipotle's first digital-only restaurant. This new location will open in Highland Falls, New York, just outside West Point this Saturday. There is no eat-in dining room, and customers will have to place orders online or through a delivery app ahead of time. Shares of Chipotle, which saw digital sales more than triple in its latest quarter to about 48%, were up nearly 5% today. Guy? You like this? Yeah, it, you know, the, the, they reported earnings. You had a burrito blowout, but the bad kind, obviously, and the stock got crushed. I think it traded down to 1,200 or so, but it found support on big volume, and now it's reversed. Now it has to take out that 1380 level, and I think it's going to happen. People will say valuation doesn't make sense, and there's a lot of truth to that. But you have huge EPS growth. The move to digital has been tremendous, and McDonald's has to, in my opinion, has to be ruining the day they spun it out in the first place. So I would stay long CMG. Those inclined, I would get a chicken burrito, double chicken, white no rice, beans. no beans, no and the medium salsa, sour cream and cheese, yeah, or tomato. Um, you know, Thank what's you. interesting is that blowout on its own implies something good, but when you pair it with burrito, it definitely takes on a different nuance, perhaps, Tim. Um, I don't this, yeah, this lap um, track. And here. I, you know, prim <laughs> Primrose, you've led me down a path to, to get myself in trouble here. Um, I, I'll just say this. If, if that's the worst kind of a burrito blowout, I, I think it's all relative if you're talking about a bad earnings release. Look, company trades at 156 times P.E. This digital story is the gift that keeps on giving for the stock price. And at some point, look, near-term prospects don't equal long-term opportunity. I, I'm sorry. And, and, and it just doesn't make sense to me. The stock peaked at 1375 on September 1st. Um, I, I think that's a level it's going to have trouble getting through. Caution, folks. Uh, I, I've, I've failed on this stock for a couple of years. Why should I be right now? Um, but I, I just think this digital transformation is something that has been part of the last 90% move in the stock uh, and is well flagged. All right. Coming up, Disney on deck to report earnings. Are traders expecting a magical quarter? We'll dive into the options pits for that trade. Stick around much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney shares pulling back today after a big move higher on vaccine hopes. The Magic Kingdom reports earnings after the bell tomorrow, and there's at least one trader in the options market who may be hedging his or her bets. Mike has got the action. Mike. 
Yeah, so we did see over two times the average daily put volume today in Disney. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 4.3% by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's slightly larger than the 3% that they've averaged over the last eight quarters. Although in this market condition, maybe that's still a modest amount. The big trade that we saw was in the November 130 strike puts. Over 11,500 of those traded, many of them paired with the November 147 calls. Both of those trading for about a dollar. That looks like a hedge to me. Selling those calls to help finance the puts, a zero-cost caller is what we call that. That gives you 6.5% to the upside, but it hedges your bets below 6.5% to the downside. So modestly bullish, but obviously a little bit concerned about what's going on. Yeah, interesting. The conference call will be very interesting, Karen, because this is probably the first major company and, and certainly company that has really been impacted by COVID to actually have a conference earnings conference call after the vaccine news. And you got to wonder how that changes the tone, if at all, um, of management. Right, if at all, because it's hard to know. That's, I think, the really important point. And I mean, the quarter is going to be terrible, obviously, on many parts of the business. We know that already. And then, of course, streaming is what everybody wants to see. That's the bright spot. I think people will focus on that if it's really good. I don't own it here, though. Yee. The move down to 119 made sense. We talked about that being long-term support that played out. Then the subsequent move up to the low 140s now... All bets are off. What I will say is I'm waiting still to hear when Mr. Toad's wild ride comes back because clearly that's a huge catalyst. And where do they put President Trump in my favorite ride, the Hall of Presidents, which, as you know, Lincoln has the predominant speaking role. It'll be interesting to see where they put him in that sort of seated, standing, back, front. Uh, it's going to be fascinating for me, and I can't wait to go and get on that ride. I can't wait either. Thanks, Mike, for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Dan. Yeah, we got to give a shout out, Mel, to all the veterans and those who currently served in the armed forces. We have a ton of fans um, who are uh, vets here, so happy Veterans Day. And a special shout out to my dad, who is also a veteran and a big fan of the show, Steve Nathan. So thank you all. Um, hey, XRT Retail, I think you sell it here into the holiday season. Tim Seymour. EEM, aforementioned BABA and Tencent are 15% of that index. It's traded very well. Take a look at EM's breakout. Karen. Yes, yeah, so I'm always long, but I want to take advantage of the VIX being down here at 22 or so, and I'm going to buy some out-of-the-money S&P puts. I don't need to protect right the move from at the money, a couple of percent out of the money. Guy Dami. Dan, not a fan of the XRT. I am a fan of the dollar gen. Comes out DG, Melissa. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.